Well, good evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, it takes on special meaning these days. Uh, it's difficult for many churches today to, to be able to meet in person. A lot of hoops they have to jump to, even if, even, if, uh, even if they're allowed by the government to do that. And we'll be talking a little bit about that tonight in our study in Colossians. Just current events, if you keep up on any of those things, um, started coming around a couple weeks ago, I guess, and I'm, I'm seeing this come up, and we're coming to the verse that we're in tonight in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And it has really um, just a pointed message for tonight. Just a, of what exactly are we supposed to do as believers in the face of uh, what uh, what the church is suffering this week? So let's go ahead and we'll read our verse for tonight that we'll cover. Um, I had some designs that we would get through the rest of the lesson tonight, but you know how that works. What you plan isn't necessarily what God has for you. So tonight, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you just to be able to meet here tonight, to be able to worship you in song, to be able to study through your word, to grow closer to one another, to edify each other. Lord, draw closer to you. Lord, we pray that you would help me and filling me with your spirit and presenting your message for your people tonight, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and just have your word go forth and help uh, help us all to draw close to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So our lesson tonight is uh, topic two, bullet B, and it's encourage one another. And if there's anything that uh, I think we need these days is a little bit of encouragement. We live in pretty troubling and, and changing and darkening days today. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you pay attention to what's going on out there, but it's not a, uh, not a friendly environment to Christians these days, if it ever has been throughout history. But, uh, but I think in our time, we're starting to see the clouds darken. So how can we make sense of all this without a noble and unchanging God? Well, if you, have, if you don't have a knowable God, if you don't have a, a God that's constant and true, you're not going to be able to make sense of what's going on. But we have a knowable God. We have a God that's unchangeable. It's unchanging. And in these days, we need to draw together and place our hope squarely on Jesus Christ. Right? Our hope is not in who gets elected president. To me, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I think um, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is, are we doing what's right for God and for Jesus Christ? Keep our focus on the main thing, and everything else will follow after that. So in verse 16, we have the first part of the verse. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, you richly in all wisdom. Typo in my lesson area in you richly in all, in all wisdom. So here we have the word of Christ. Well, the word of Christ, the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures. These are things that we are to have dwelling in us richly. And dwelling in us richly is to be so thoroughly permeated in your mind. Have the scripture on your mind throughout the day. It, it, so much so that you wake up and that's the first thing you're thinking of. You go to the last thing you think of it when, when your head hits the pillow is, is God and his word. 
and having that uh, dwell in you richly uh, is, is going to permeate your actions. It's going, to, it's going to flow out of you then. If the Word of God is in you and you're studying it and you're, you're, you're meditating on it, the word meditation in, in, in world today has more of a, an Eastern con- uh, connotation to it. But meditation here is that, you know, we, we don't just chant a verse. But you think on a passage of scripture, you think of a, uh, of, of a topic that God is speaking to you about, and, and take that and meditate on that. Meditate on the word of God. Meditation in the Eastern sense has you emptying your mind and allowing something else to come in. Well, you empty your mind, something will come in. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a good thing. It's not going to be something that's going to be edifying and is, is going to be something that's going to bring forth good. So action that uh, when you when you allow the word of Christ, the word of God, to dwell in you richly, your actions through your actions, godliness pours forth into all all of the things that you do, and the world will see that. It'll just it'll it'll come out of you. I'm not sure if anybody else out there likes garlic. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I yeah I enjoy it. I'm, I'm not somebody who goes and just breaks off the little things and starts chewing on those. Have you ever done that? I made the mistake of doing that once. I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, but garlic, if you eat too much of it, you can it, you, it just permeates your being, your physical being. People know that you've had a little bit of garlic, not just from your breath. So um, enjoy your garlic in moderation. Enjoy the word of God completely and wholly. So in all wisdom here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So knowing what the Bible says because you have personally studied it and you're not relying on some pastor or some teacher or some YouTube personality or some TV preacher to tell you what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says because you've read it and you've studied it and you've cross-referenced it and you've compared scripture with scripture. And yes, you you hear from others. You hear from the preacher. You hear from a teacher. You hear from somebody else that you trust. It's grounded in the Bible. As you know, how can, how can we grow? What what is your understanding of this passage passage of scripture? And it's not a coming together to in a Bible studies that can occur these days of where you all get together and you discuss of what this passage of scripture means. And well, I feel that it means this, and somebody else feels that it means that. That's not really the right way to consider scripture. You have to consider scripture not how you feel about it, but what God says about it and working through it that way. So searching the scriptures, uh, so because of that, you've searched the scriptures to see what they've said is so, and then through that have confidence in what the Bible says. You know it personally. Not, you're not trusting somebody's opinion. You could walk around and be enticed by any kind of cultic behavior that's out there and said, well, there's this Heavenly Father that lives on a star near, or a planet near the star Kolob, and something they won't tell you right off the bat. But you could be deceived by Mormonism if you don't understand what the scripture says. You could be deceived by Catholicism. You could be deceived by Calvinism in that sense if you don't understand what the scripture actually says. Scripture says a lot of things. Scripture doesn't teach anything. The Holy Spirit teaches through reading what the Word of God says. So teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching, referring to instructing one another in right doctrine and of godly living. 
So teaching, as I think Brother Chris has said too, is that in the past here is that uh, older people in his life have looked up to him as a teacher in some instances. Teaching is not, the ability to teach can, can occur at any age. I can learn from my kids things and often do. Um, it's not necessarily a physical age. It, beca it becomes of spiritual maturity. Someone who is spiritually mature will be able to get up and teach. And, and that, that just comes with time and study and, and the rest. Ad admonishing, referring to warning about the consequences for living in disobedience to God. So admonishing one another, you know, well, maybe you might want to consider this if we think we're getting a little bit off on our doctrine. And, and, and uh, I wouldn't call it a rebuke. It's, it's more of a gentle nudging to get, get back on the right path. Like, well, maybe, maybe you should spend more time doing these things. And often, you know, the, the encouraging bit of admonishing would have you not be so negative. You would have put the positive spin on things. Maybe we could be looking in this direction or have you considered these sorts of things instead of better not be doing that anymore, pointing fingers and all the rest. But, you know, it's a, it's a, a gentle rebuke in that sense. And, and gathering together is not really necessarily part of this verse, but it's going to be where we're going to be leading into the rest of this. And it's related to the rest of the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But, you know, gathering together, we're gathered here tonight. It's awesome. I like being here. I like, like seeing all you guys up here. I like uh, fellowshipping at the end and, and before the service. Sometimes we're a little tardy on starting things but because we're fellowshipping a little bit too much. But, um, you know, online meetings can only do so much for you, right? The way I look at it is an online meeting is, is it's a one-way structure. And in electrical engineering, I would call it a diode. The current only flows in direction, one direction. Or if you're into plumbing, you have a one-way valve. Water only flows in one direction. It doesn't come back the other direction. Or hydraulics or any of these things like this. You would have that type of system. So listening to a live sermon online, not really different than listening to it a few hours or a few days later in, in the reality of, of things. Now, I understand in our times that we live in... Um, interesting times and and difficult times for some the and for some it's not possible to come here it's not not possibly safe for them to be here meeting together and to that there is no shame you, you gather together according to what is what you understand to be safe for you and what god's leading is for you but on the other hand if you can be here you should be here because here's the thing Viewing a video on a screen, watching a television of this broadcast tonight, or um, or at any other time, is not really getting the full picture, the full experience of, of listening. I see you guys. You see me. You can interact with me. There, there's, there's um, how, how I put it, this church is rather quiet on, its, on the side of things, um, but I was listening to a few sermons where uh, from a, another church recently where it's not so quiet in there. There's a lot of what I call amen feedback. There's a lot of uh, uh, just uh, amening the preacher, uh, amening the speaker. And you know, from up here and doing those sorts of things, to get that feedback, to get the head nods, to get the, the amens, it's, it's needed from up here. We don't want to talk to 
a camera screen. The camera screen has no emotion. It's just, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's a little rectangular box with a circle in the middle, and I know there's an image sensor in it. It's an inanimate object. But sitting people out here, gathering together, having that feedback and fellowship during the teaching time is very much needed and is very much needed in these days. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we are to teach and admonish one another in. Psalms being referring directly to the Old Testament psalms that are sung. So we look at the book of Psalms as just words on a page. Not really as something that would necessarily flow as from our hymn book. You wouldn't necessarily think of that as English poetry in a sense, but it is. It is a song in, in the original language of Hebrew that was meant to be sung. And specifically, the reference that I have is the, song of or the Psalms of Degrees from Psalm 120 to 134, which are, are, some say that they were sung as they were heading up to the feasts in Jerusalem. They're actually singing these things. Now, how it goes, I don't know. I don't speak Hebrew. I can recognize a few characters, but that's about it. But we understand it to be songs that were sung. Hymns being songs of praise. And you know, that's a big part of church, I think. My, my, uh, it's one of the favorite things that I like to do is to come to a church that sings hymns. Um, in, in any church that I've been to, even as a kid, that's what was sung. It was, it was a piano, possibly an organ, Maybe sometimes there was an, a one-off guitar once in a while, but always an acoustic guitar. Uh, but the focus was not really on the musician or the, the, the playing talent that's there. And you know, God does give talent to people who, who can play musical instruments. For me, playing piano is a mystery. It's, I have this hand and it doesn't want to do the same thing as the other hand. And how do you read two lines of music at the same time? And this one's in a weird clef called bass clef, which I'm only partially understanding these days. It amazes me that God has given the talent to some to be able to do that. But you know, the focus really isn't on the playing ability. And there's some wonderful piano players out there. I mean, we have, we have a great piano player here. We've been blessed in that regard. Um, but the idea is that the focus is still on God. The worship is toward God. We're singing the songs not because they sound great to us, but because they glorify God. They lift him up. They point to him. Again, all of this here, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. The reason we meet here is to lift him up, to glorify him. It's not about me. It's all about him. And spiritual songs, and these would be things other than psalms or hymns that express spiritual truth. And it's been said, you know, you can. there's a lot of scripture in our hymn book that is in the songs, embedded within the songs themselves. And that's great. There are other songs you've got to be really careful about because there's some strange doctrine that could be in there. But, you know, uh, as with any of these things, you have proper discernment. You know what the Word of God says. You can discern that. Take the meat, spit out the bones, the rest, um, and trust that God will be glorified through this. So today we live in America that is persecuting fellow believers and sisters in Christ for meeting together to teach and admonish one another and sing, sing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So why is this? 
you know, we're, we're able to meet here tonight. We are properly social distanced. There's a good amount of space between everybody here. So why is this? Don't we have constitutional rights? I mean, I have my rights, don't I? What about the First Amendment? So tonight I want to take a little bit of time and we'll look through some of these documents that have been instrumental in the creation of our country and just to see what they exactly say. And let's just see also what the Word of God says too. So from the Declaration of Independence, one of our uh, foremost foundational documents in our country, it reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, from this standpoint, equality is not equity. There's a difference. We're all equal in that all mankind is created in the image of God. We find that in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We are created in God's image, and in that we are equal. Also, all men are equal in their sin nature. Right? We are equally wicked in our naturally, natural state. We're not profitable to God in our, in our natural state. Being of a different social, social class means nothing in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter who you are. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're the king of England or the queen of England these days or the lowliest peasant. It doesn't matter. To all, everyone in God's eyes is equally wicked before him without Jesus Christ. But all people are equally loved in that God sent his son to pay the sin debt of the whole world that through him they might be saved. Everyone is equally loved in that sense. God has made a way of salvation that if you repent of your sin, you turn from it and you turn to Christ and call out for forgiveness, he gives you salvation for free. It's the best deal in this world. So equality is not equity. Equity connotes the sense of fairness and equal outcomes. God is not fair and that he does not give the same gifts to everyone. So if we think of the spiritual gifts, not everybody gets the same spiritual gifts. Not everybody has, there's no one person who has them all. And I think because of that, part of that reason is that we can learn to lean on each other and grow in Christ together. So we don't all have the same gifts, but together we can, we can pool our gifts and we can work together to lift Christ up, to, to make him famous. And I think uh, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh just because he wouldn't think of himself more highly than anyone else. He was given quite a many, quite a quite amount of gifts and and uh, just opportunity to serve the Lord. But who he pointed to was Christ, not himself. And then continuing, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, it's an interesting word, unalienable which means these rights cannot be taken away by man because they are given to men by God. These are rights that we have, well, as Thomas Jefferson is writing here, that come from, come from God. They don't come from government. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This was interesting to find out the origin of this. So these, these ideas here of all men are created equal, that certain basic rights, rights exist independent of government or because of God has given them, and government exists to protect these rights. These are not Thomas Jefferson's ideas. 
Did you know this? These are a man named John Locke's ideas, who was a 17th century English philosopher. And he wrote some many different pamphlets and essays and the rest. But the one was inspired by the, the uh, glorious revolution of 1688, where King James II was deposed and William of Orange was made King of England. And the reason behind this was that the people were rising up and they said, you know, we are, what is the difference between the King of England and me? He's just a man. He puts his pants on one leg at a time, or pantaloons, I suppose, at that time, one leg at a time. He's the same as me. What's the difference? And in this, they, they deposed the Catholic King James II with the Protestant William of Orange. I believe he was brought over from Delft, Netherlands. There's kind of this weird play of where they bring in a, a non-British monarch into the, into the fray. But anyways, he was commenting on the reasons um, for this revolution, namely that laws and liberties applied equally to the king and the citizen. No one man is above the law. And that was his treatises here. That you would have um, these principles influenced Jefferson's work on the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. We see that in the first line. That basic cer uh, certain basic rights existed independent of government. It wasn't, these rights didn't come from government. And if we look at our, our, our society today, that's what we see being pushed. We want to have all these rights given to us, well, because government says so, not because God says so. And that government exists to protect these rights. So Jeff Jefferson used Locke's arguments that justify the English Revolution to then justify the coming American Revolution. But what does the Bible say now? So we find more of what is the government supposed to do for us? We find more of the role of government from what God says in the Bible. Romans chapter 13. And again, you have to look at this in context because you'll have the Romans 13 crowd that will tell you you always have to obey government in every manner. That's not true. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be or are ordained of God Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall re receive to themselves damnation. So here, God has set up the powers that be. It's a phrase that often gets used. There's an, a lot of interesting uh, phrases from a sp specifically the King James Bible that come out and say uh, that things we use in our common speech. The powers that be. The writing is on the wall from Daniel 5 and others too that have become just common phrases that are used in our speech. Often people don't know where they come from, but now you can point out if you know your Bible you, and you see these coming up in discussions, you can say, well, that's in Jan Daniel chapter 5, the writing's on the wall. So what type of resistance are we talking about here in verses 1 and 2? The kind that resists God and his commands is what we're talking about. So the, the king or the ruler or the authority is the agent of God to operate in this, in this life. So God used, so let's think about this. God used wicked Babylon, not a God-fearing nation, to chastise and judge Israel. But Israel resisted this. They had God-sent prophets through the prophet Jeremiah, told them not to resist this and go into Babylon. Don't resist. 
Don't try to fight back on this. You're not going to win. Just go, go with the flow. This was a message from God. God used a wicked king or a wicked nation to judge it. Well, an unrighteous Israel at this time. So is it that, you, that you, well, this, this particular government official is wicked. We shouldn't obey them. Well, it depends. Is what that official is saying, is it contrary with what God has to say? Does it go against what God has to say in his word? That's something that we need to, un- we need to evaluate. So God does not command people to follow after those who are doing evil either. So government could tell us to do something that is against God's word, and that's not from God. God does not contradict himself. He does not act contradictory to his nature. Consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They resisted Nebuchadnezzar's command to worship the golden statue. But if you were taking a, um, an incorrect view of Romans chapter 13, you would say this, well, the king, the king commanded you to bow down before the statue. Well, you'd be violating one of the Ten Commandments to worship another god, have another god before you to, to make an idol. And that's not, that's not what God had for them. That's not, we're not to follow after unrighteous or unjust rules according to the word of God. If it goes contrary to the word of God, that's, that's not a rule, that's not a, that's not a command that God has given. God's not going to contradict himself. And for their disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar, the government of that time, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. God preserved them through that. But they didn't know that, right? You know, if God, be, God is able, if he wants to, save us. But if he doesn't, still we're, we're going to worship our God and not, and not do this wicked thing. Daniel, also in the book of Daniel, declined to stop praying to God inst- where he was commanded to pray to the king or raise his petition to the, the king only for 30 days. For that, he was cast into the den of lions. And again, God was able and did, through an angel, close the mouths of the lions uh, and, and, and kept him safe through that. Now, God doesn't promise safety or deliverance from trials necessarily, but he will give you the way, uh, peace and, and patience to endure. So today, God does not call us to support abortion just because it's legal in America. It might be legal here. Marijuana might be decriminalized in the state of Oregon, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is a right thing to do. Abortion specifically is the murder of children in the womb, taking of innocent life, and this being contrary to the word of God. So rather, the purpose of government is to secure the rights given to man by God through securing peace. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And you know, if I ever had a second favorite verse, this would be it. Right here. In my life, this is exactly what I want to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, to serve him in, in all that I do, not looking for self-recognition, but looking for a peaceful existence with my fellow man and especially with God.
Secondly, executing judgment and the judgment on the wicked is a purpose of government. Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. So if we have the government or the ruler that is doing the right thing, they're not a terror to the people that are doing the good or the righteous or the right thing. They are a terror to those who are not. They are the ones that are going to be executing judgment on them. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God. The government is the minister of God. The ruler is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Right? That's the purpose of our government, the proper godly purpose of government and a ruler or an authority that is ordained and set up by God. That they are supposed to execute judgment, to keep order, to keep the peace to execute judgment on the wicked. And I won't go there for the sake of time, but uh, Genesis 6, uh, 9, verses 6 and 7, the the instantiation of the death penalty for those who shed blood, murderers, uh, reaffirmed by Paul in Acts chapter 25, too, that he refused not to die if he did anything worth of death. So what about the Constitution? Looked at the Declaration of Independence. We've looked at Romans 13. Uh, Timothy uh, verses 1 and 2, the U.S. Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights. First, the thing you have to understand about our Constitution, it's not a, it's not a list of and a set of rules of positive rights, of things that the government does for you. It's a set of negative rights for the government. It says what the government cannot do to you. Because citizens lend liberty to the government, right? We lend our liberty to the government in turn for them keeping order, performing the the duties of God-ordained duties of government, of keeping the peace and executing judgment on the wicked. The government does not give rights to its citizens because that's the prerogative of God. For a government to give rights to you, they're usurping, usurping the authority of God. So the preamble of the Bill of Rights, did anybody ever know there was a preamble of the Bill of Rights? There's a preamble to the U.S. Constitution. Brother Dennis does, so he's much more versed on these things than I am. But looking through there, it was interesting. It says basically what I just said. The convention of a number of states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. Right? We're going to make sure that if, you, if it wasn't clear, here's some other things that you can't do to the people of the United States. Amendment 1. This is the one that I think everybody is focused on these days. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of a religion. That means Congress, isn't, or Congress our legislative branch of government, isn't going out there and pick uh, independent Baptists to be the the uh, universal religion of the United States. It's not going to happen. It's not supposed to happen. Nor is it going to pick any other one. No law respecting the, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now this is key here too. Government is not supposed to be involved in religion, either to establish it or to prohibit it. This is, this is maybe a controversial statement who are not, to those who are not well-versed in, in uh, what the Constitution actually says, remember? What does it actually say? Not what it teaches, not what you think it says, not what you feel it says. Nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
I think in today's age, we're seeing that come to pass, where the government, at whatever level, is is placing restrictions on churches to be able to meet and freely exercise their religion. And abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Right, that's the key word there, peaceably. What we see going on in Portland isn't peaceable. That's quite riotous. That's the opposite of peaceable. To assemble here as we are today, we're doing this peaceably. We're not. Uh, we're not there seeking to overthrow government or plotting treasonous actions of any other sense or plotting uh, uh, riotous behavior ourselves. We're here to glorify and honor God in what we're doing here. We are peaceably assembling, exercising our religious freedom. And this is fundamental too. The Constitution sits above every other uh, above our state constitution of our local ordinances here county government local ordinances it sits above it it says now here everybody in the entire United States this is the beauty of the federal uh, the federal uh, federal um, form of government organization of government is that you have a, a small tight close group of laws that apply to everybody universally and then you go to the individual states. And the individual states, as long as they're not violating those core group of fundamental uh, rights, or I should say in this case, negative rights of government, they can apply what they want. And the people of that state can have self-determination, all, all the way down to the county level or the individual city level. So government, in my opinion, just a side note, is done best at the local level. It's the most in touch with everybody. So... So I, I do want to state this, too. I believe we live in the best country that God has given to man. It is not perfect. I've looked around. I've just, oh, well, well, what would I do if I could, if there's any other place in the world that I would want to live, where would it be? And I'm like, no, no, no. Keep checking them all off. And I'm like, nope, this is the one I want to be in. It's not perfect, but it's mine. And, uh, and, and I thank God that we have the, 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 the liberty and the freedoms. Liberty is a bigger word than freedom. The liberty to exercise our conscience in, in this country here. So our, our, uh, our country is not invincible and it's not incorruptible. <clears throat> it's only suitable for a moral and righteous people. And what we see today is America has become a country that has turned its back on God. It has forsaken God. It's not about just church attendance. It's not coming and sitting in a building. It's what is actually in your heart. And our country's heart, the citizen's heart, has left God behind. God is right there waiting for us to turn to him. But we've left him behind. And because of that, we're reaping the consequences today. And what we see in the world is that good is called evil, and evil is called good every day of the week. And it's a shame. So ultimately, the Constitution, if we look at it purely, is just a paper document. It's got some words on it. Those words have lost their meaning and power. Faith in our founding documents, if, if that's what you have, if you have faith in the Constitution, I have... Hear a lot of people, oh, 
we have our founding fathers and our documents and we're going to be chasing after them and and f focusing our faith in our or whoever gets elected president next if our faith is placed in these things it will fail it is destined to fail and it's a misplaced faith man-made documents can be changed right we we have a process to amend our constitution we could amend it to take out that first amendment protection that's listed here no establishment of religion and uh, not being able to prohibit the free exercise thereof. That could be taken out. We have a process to do it. And that could happen because the heart of the people is turned from God. So what can we do about the situation we find ourselves in as Americans? Well, first, we can be right with God ourselves. First Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 we, we can keep praying for God to work in the lives of our elected leaders. But you know, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. No matter what the consequences that could be suffered in these, these coming days, weeks, months, years. If we're suffering for righteousness sake, happy are we, the Bible says. There are churches that are being, uh, having fines leveled on them right now, and they're pretty significant. And pastor, I think you were talking, to me, they were just upping them to some exorbitant amount. Um, it, it had been $5,000 a service. Now is it what they want to do, 50000 a week? So three three services would have only been fifteen thousand, but they're giving them the extra the extra benefit of just rounding up to the nearest factor of ten. So no matter what the consequences that we face, we, we need to keep doing what we know to be right. And if that's aligned with the Bible, I'm not gonna have any any doubt on what is right. Keep doing what is the right thing to do. In Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world, verse 2. Just because the world says you need to do this doesn't make it so. If it misaligns with what the Word of God has clearly said, that's not a true statement. That's not God's will. And I would encourage you not to give in to an ungodliness to have an easy life, just to get along, to... Well, I'll compromise on this one thing, and then it'll be easier for us. Um, in keeping things open, you know, things that have our society has deemed things essential, essential businesses are open. Grocery stores, restaurants, bars, liquor stores, marijuana shops, casinos are somehow somehow uh, vital businesses that need to remain open. Other den, vice dens are open, but not churches. What is more needed in our society today? A godless, lawless society. What is more needed than Jesus Christ? So I understand that you need to eat, right? We all need to eat. We need water keep our bodies going. But what does the Bible say? What did Job say? That I have esteemed the words of his, or God's mouth, more than my necessary food. 
I need to have God's word dwelling in me more than I need to eat today. Um, on a daily basis, God's word is more important than what we eat. You know, there, it's, I think it's been said from here, some general statistics. You can live about three minutes without air, about three days without water, maybe about three weeks without food. The question I have is, how long can you live without the Word of God? How is your spiritual life going to be impacted? My goodness, I know when I'm not there, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad and pretty uh, a miserable place to be. Get out of the will of God, that's not a place you want to be. Churches in California are being fined, as I said. Governments are offering to eliminate these past fines if the churches will just stop singing and stop indoor meetings, right? This is, well, if you compromise on this area, stop singing, but we've seen here in Colossians 3.16 that we are to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. Singing. This isn't just something you do passively. This is not a one-way valve. Having hundreds or tens or hundreds or thousands of people singing on an online, online Zoom meeting or listening to a podcast of something is not the same as having those same people gather together. Uh, listening to this particular church sing, uh, it's amazing. I mean, the entire congregation singing, uh, all the voices lifting up praises to God, that's beautiful. And, and, and a sound of God's ears, a wonderful sound of God's ears. But you know, I think in this case, it's right to follow Peter's example from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. And when they, these government officials, had brought them, Peter and the apostles, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name, or sing, or meet in person in church? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you've actually gone on and sung, and you've gone on and preached and you've gone on and met together and edified each other and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's the important part here, is that we can have a constitution, we can have a declaration of independence, we can have all sorts of philosophers that say that rights come from God, documents can change, hearts can grow cold, but in no time should we deviate from obeying what God has said. Hebrews chapter chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are commanded to meet together. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to sing and, and, and raise our voices to the Lord and this is, this is right. This is a command of God for us to do. God-fearing people will obey his command rather than men. So let's not be those that submit to ungodly rules from an ungodly government that call for us to disband in favor of some sort of Zoom meetings online. Let's just meet online. That's, we'll have church online in our pajamas. And, and uh, while it doesn't matter what, what you wear when you come to church, it's a good idea to wear the best you can to honor God and, 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 and uh, be different and separated from the world in that sense. Um, 
there's just something about sitting in front of a computer screen or just having that one-way interaction that is not edifying in the fullest sense. And you can listen to sermons, and I often do online. It's not the same. It's not the same as being right here, gathered together, having your Bibles open, having pages turned. You know, having an electronic Bible, it's, it's nice. We have technology, our computers, our phones that we can have Bibles on. There's an off switch for that, if you didn't know. That can be turned off right away. So having a paper copy of onion skin pages here that you can flip through and hear and feel and, and wrap your wrap your hands around and grab onto and hold onto, both physically and spiritually, hold on to the Word of God. We we need to have that too. And more importantly, having that. So let's keep meeting. Keep reading our Bibles as God has commanded us to do. And encourage others to do the same. Pray for those that are out there that are being going through these trials and struggles right now. It's, it's a difficult time, and they need your prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight. Lord, to be able to open your word, to see what you have for us, is for us. what is the purpose of government, that we are to obey you rather than, than to obey men. Lord, we seek not to be antagonistic, to be disruptive, to be contentious, but, Lord, to, to humbly follow you in all that you've commanded us to do. Lord, we pray for churches here in our country, Lord, is, which is a difficult thing to say. We, we think of the persecuted church around the world, but now it seems as if that time has come for us here in a small way. Lord, we pray for them and lift them up, each one, that you would continue to strengthen them, help them to persevere, persevere in their trial. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.